Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's about starting with principles and values that support a worldview that says we as a business have to be responsible. You know, we actually are calling it the responsibility economy. If it's true that waste is a man-made problem and that we created it, we also have to use our man-made community to solve it. Hello and welcome to Our Impact. I'm your host, Jeremy K. Spear. This show explores what our impact is, what we can do about it, and how we can help scale positive outcomes and solutions. We'll be learning from people doing strong work across nonprofits, academia, business, and sport to connect the dots and find ways we can all take action. This show is as a result of my own searching. A few years ago, I measured my carbon footprint for the first time, and I realized how my travel as a professional beach volleyball player is actually at odds with the positive impact I'm striving to have. I wanted to act, but it wasn't clear where to begin. I've made a number of changes since then, but I'm still learning more every day. I hope you find these conversations useful and that the ideas we explore might help you take action in your own life and community. This episode is brought to you by Mir. The reason I partnered with Mir is that they make beautiful products I enjoy using day to day and traveling, which helps them cut down on single use plastic. I can't tell you how nice it is to have their Thermo 3D vacuum insulated bottles keep my water ice cold the whole day when I'm at the beach training or competing. My favorites for the beach and travel are the 42 ounce wide mouth water bottle for hydration, the 20 ounce travel tumbler for coffee, and the food canister that I pack my son's school lunches in. Aside from making awesome drinkware, they've earned B Corp 1% for the planet and climate neutral certifications, so you know they're taking transparent action to have a positive social and environmental impact. And if that wasn't enough, every Mirror product sold helps fund nonprofit partners working at the intersection of communities and the environment. There's literally a giving code on every product, so you can look up Mir's impact made possible by your support. Go to mir.com and use Casebeer20 to receive 20% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Rise Brewing Co. Rise makes my favorite nitro cold brew coffee and provides energy for good people to do good things. If I'm at home, I start my day with Rise's original black nitro cold brew with their oat milk, or if I'm heading to the beach to train or surf, I'll take a mocha or vanilla latte with me. The best part is that Rise is 100% USDA certified organic. The oat milk Rise makes is tasty and impactful. Farming oats uses about six times less land than farming dairy and six times less water than farming almonds. I've been working to shift towards a plant-based diet, but I'm not perfect and it's definitely a process. Rise makes it easier for me because I can swap half and half for Rise's tasty plant-based oat milk and I'm supporting certified organic farmers, all while enjoying delicious nitro coffee. Head to Rise Brewing Co. and use Jeremy's C15 for 15% off your order and free shipping. My guest today is Brad Peterson, one of the co-founders of Pila. Pila is a B Corp, 1% for the planet, and climate neutral certified brand working to create a waste-free future by developing products from environmentally sensitive materials. Pila started with the observation that people upgrade their phones every 18 to 24 months on average, but the phone cases last hundreds or thousands of years, and that didn't make sense. Pila started with plant-based biodegradable phone covers and accessories. Now they have plant-based biodegradable sunglasses and their newest product, Lomi, which is tackling food waste and the messy problem of composting for people that don't have access or space to compost themselves. Along with the trifecta of third-party certifications, Peel addresses problems that people have around waste, but most importantly, they do it in a way that people actually want to talk about and share, so the ripple effect goes far and wide. We also talk about Pila's previous goal of keeping 1 billion pounds of waste from ever being made and how Pila has 10x that, moving it up to 10 billion pounds. 
Brad has been involved in many businesses, some that worked and some that didn't. He's done a lot of personal development and reflection in the process, which we discussed in the second half of our conversation, and which I got a lot out of doing my own research for this conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode and find it useful. Brad Peterson, thank you for coming on, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Ever since we met at uh, the Footprint Conference, I was really looking forward to catching up and diving into all things Pila and Impact. Well, who could resist an invitation from the Lorax? I I come from the kids' entertainment space. Uh, It was an awesome opportunity to not only riff with you, but also just uh, to get to hear more about your story as well, which I think is pretty fascinating. I love the fact that you're using your platform as an opportunity to create positive change. So it's cool. Thank you. Yeah, I guess a good place to start would be Pila. So for people not familiar with, can you share a little about what Pila is, how it came to be, and kind of how you got involved and what your role is? Sure. Pila is a waste innovation company. And that seems kind of mysterious in terms of what that means. But Really, you know, humans created this concept of waste. <clears throat> we, um, we're the only species that actually produces waste. And, you know, a lot of that's come from the genius of what we've been able to create because that's part of our, our human potential is that we're very creative. But if you consider uh, God's economy, there is no waste. Everything that is discarded by either species becomes a fuel and sustenance for something else to, to grow and thrive. So... This concept of waste is something that we've created using our ingenuity, but at the same time, it's going to require the same uh, ingenuity to solve that. So Pila's inception was really that we wanted to start from the beginning, one design things using materials that had this graceful in the life and start off with consumer packaged goods and uh, very rapidly uh, evolved into something called Lomi, which I know we're going to talk more about, but yeah. really it's, it's a structure play that's solving a problem of how do we advance this, this compostable clean economy that we're looking forward to. So that's, that's the essence. And, uh, do, do you want me to tell you how I got involved or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and I know we talked about maybe jumping into this later, but I'll, I'll give you a quick, you know, sort of the short uh, end of it that. I was the real Santa Claus uh, for uh, 25 years of my life. I made kids toys and, you know, it was, it was a fascinating piece of history. And the idea that you're, you're making products that put smiles on kids' faces is really aspirational. And I love doing it. Honestly, there's a real thrill that comes with uh, being in the kids' space and you're involved in entertainments like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> and uh, there's just all kinds of things that come along with that, that industry in general. That said, I was always conflicted about how the industry operated. If you spent time in, in South Asia where most of these things are manufactured, there's certainly question about the methodologies of manufacturing. And on the flip side of that is after you've made a toy, which is predominantly made from plastic, most toys end up in landfill in 90 days or less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after being somebody who had shipped billions of pieces of plastic around the planet, all in the spirit of putting kids, smiles on kids' faces, I was thoughtful about what I wanted to do when I grew up. And so I exited the toy business in 2017. At the same time, uh, I was in a business forum with Matt Bertulli, who's my co-founder. And he had just invested into a company called Pila that was founded by an entrepreneur by the name of Jeremy Lang, who was really um, a material science expert who <clears throat> had also, again, feeling sort of disenfranchised with, with waste and how it was showing up on, on the ocean uh, or uh, on the shores of oceans uh, and along the beaches that he wanted to do something to try and address it. So 
he had come up with this unique polymer and was developing products out of it. And so Matt invested in his company because he was good at storytelling, whereas Jeremy was good at the science. And then this thing was growing like a hockey stick, being yeah. a Canadian, can use that. <laughs> and then, you know, Matt and I were, were riffing on it one day and he's like, I keep breaking it. There's, you know, it's growing faster than keep up. The factory's breaking, productions can't keep up, we're trying to hire people. Basically everything that he was talking about were his problems were things that I had experience in doing. And so after spending some time deliberating whether we were going to be a good fit and finding out that was the case, I joined the team in 2018 as the third co-founder. And, and that's really when we just started to scale the opportunity. Very cool. And that was one of the things digging into peel a little bit more that I love how you guys work towards creating upstream solutions. Jeremy's story is he was playing at the beach and on a vacation in Hawaii and saw all the plastic and dug into it a little bit more. And he's like, this is crazy. People upgrade their phones every, was it 18 to 24 months, but the cases last hundreds to thousands of years and there's gotta be a better way. So you guys are B Corp, 1% for the planet and climate neutral. What I started to call kind of the trifecta of third-party certifications for transparent social and environmental impact. Can you share a little bit about the process to, that Pila went through to earn those certifications and how it shaped the culture at Pila and any lessons learned? Yeah, no, it's great. Look, I think from the get-go, uh, authenticity and transparency was fundamental to what we wanted to create as a business. You know, there was a lot of kind of cloak and dagger in my prior world. Uh, a lot of lip service paid to things that people were doing, but what their actions didn't necessarily live in integrity with. So, you know, again, having a fresh start, a fresh canvas to paint on, we really said, let's, let's start with the end of mind and let's build a business thoughtfully and ensure that we embrace our values up front. And uh, so right from the get go, we set out a big vision, which is to create a waste for future. Our mission was to develop products that could support that worldview. And uh, we identified our four core values, which are consciousness, creativity, courage, and community. And um, around consciousness in particular, it's thoughtfulness. And, and it's, it's an alternative word to integrity, but living in harmony with your worldviews about how things should be and ensuring their actions align with that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we believe business can be the greatest force for good on the planet today. It has been a force for not good. And that's just simply by people's choice, but it is a proven mechanism for creating lasting change as you know, Steve Jobs has proven so well. And I think that we really feel strongly, this is the right, the right tool for making lasting change. And for us to be effective and to build a community that we, we want to support, we needed to start with as a baseline that we're going to support things that promote a sustainable um, future towards, you know, business and the environment. And so those are just kind of, we'll call that that's, that's table stakes to be yeah. business that is truly committed to being a, a force of good. I think you just need to adhere to standards like that. And for us, it's, it's, it's really been, the process wasn't hard, <laughs> quite <laughs> frankly, because it wasn't like we had to adapt. We yeah. Were, you did it from the beginning. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And that's the cool part too, is I have my peel case here and it's awesome that it's a conversation starter too, that you guys are making the business case that, you know, everyone is going to, not everyone, but the majority of people are going to have a phone, they're going to have a case, but there's a better way of doing things. And it's a great way. And that little conversation starter, that little ripple effect can really go wide and who knows where it goes from there. 
Yeah, look, there's a couple of things I want to say about that. And I'm going to do it all by at the same time while I'm plugging in my laptop. So supporting our value of creativity, I'm working from our Florida office today and I'm sitting on my patio and I just got the notice <laughs> battery's about to die. So hopefully okay. your users will bear with me as <laughs> my human uh, uh, element comes out in full force. But all I just want to say that to your point, uh, phone case is a Trojan horse for us. The reason why is that everybody has a smart device. I mean, it's just well, I shouldn't say everybody, but the vast majority of us have those uh, tools today. Yeah. So it's something that is thoughtful and mindful because we're spending a lot of time with them. And simply by putting on a peel a case, it's basically, you know, we're, we're, we're top of mind for most people because every day they're picking up their, their case, they're messaging, they're interacting, and they're being reminded daily that this, that this is a part of their worldview. You know, we've been able to acquire over a, a million customers. And again, it's just from great storytelling and being authentic to who we are. And people bought this case and we love the fact that it's something they interact with daily. But on the flip side of it, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, the phone case industry is a $20 billion industry. And that's driven by the fact that people change out their phones every two to three years. And so they're taking uh, plastic turning it into a protective device that, you know, or protective covering that goes onto their phone that protects the phone, but after two, three years is being discarded and, and that it was meant to last a, a long time. And I also want to be clear, we're not anti-plastic, like plastic is a miracle material, but it's just been misallocated. We like to say single use is abuse, right? So the idea that it went from something that was meant to last a long time into something that now is turned into a commodity that we use and discard at uh, at a whim. That's where the real the real problem lies. Yeah, and would love to dig in a little bit more to your hairy audacious goal of eliminating a billion pounds of waste from ever being made. You guys started with biodegradable plant based phone case, started to make all kinds of accessories and sunglasses. We'll get into Lomi in a minute. And now you also take back your competitors' traditional plastic cases and then upcycle that as well. How are you going about eliminating a billion pounds of waste from ever being made? <laughs> well, again, it's starting from the end in mind. So, and by the way, we've upgraded that goal now. It's uh, now 10 billion. Whoa, 10xing. <laughs> 10xing. Yeah, I, I, once, I once heard an interview from uh, Dan Sullivan, who's the strategic coach. And he said, you know, if you ever want to challenge your team's ability to, to grow, you got to stop thinking doubling and you have to start thinking about 10xing because 10x mm -hmm. stretch your mind in a way that requires you to becoming more resourceful in terms of finding the right talent and the right things that can actually allow that to happen. Because yeah. most entrepreneurs can envision how they would double their business. They, they think within their existing bandwidth, they can do it. But 10x requires completely rethinking your strategy and what are the right resources? But yeah, so how are we doing it? Well, it's starting with us. You know, we, we are clearly adhering to the fact that we're only working with materials that do meet this, this grace on the life. And, you know, I, I'll be honest that, you know, we haven't figured it all out. I mean, there's things within our portfolio that we're still not happy with, but we've also understood that, you know, perfection's the enemy of progress. Yeah. That, we need to have a baseline to start from, but we're constantly iterating and looking for better uh, materials to, to work from. You know, our, our case is amazing. We're super satisfied with the outcome there, but there's things like our, our sunglasses that were less than perfect. They were still biodegradable and landfill biodegradable at that, but at the same time, 
there were things about the science that we thought maybe we can, we will get better when the opportunities and the materials are, are going to present themselves. But again, it's, it's having the courage, again, one of our core values to try to start knowing that your first iteration is probably going to suck and not be as good as you want it to be, but it's progress towards the ultimate goal that, uh, we're, we're trying to strive for of, and fulfilling our vision. I love that. And that's one thing that keeps coming up. I've had a number of conversations with other B Corp founders and just starting with the end in mind and then progress, not perfection. What's the next best step. And <laughs> when you can add in a 10 X goal, that's where things start to get really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, part of it is that we wanted to be responsible for our industry. Like if our competitors were not going to clean up their own mess, we said, let's start, let's just do it. Let's see. <laughs> let's, I don't want to say shame them into it, but if they weren't put some pressure, to, put some pressure to say somebody has to, to make a difference and it sort of blaze the trail and show them that this is best practices. And you would be blown away at what people send back to us. I mean, it's, it is. <laughs> Well, we, we literally get envelopes full of plastic cases from like various eras. You know, you remember your flip phone, Yeah, uh, <laughs> we still get cases from that. Sometimes we actually get people's devices that they ship us the entire phone. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it, it's, it's awesome. It shows the consciousness of people saying, Hey, I, I want to participate. Like, I think a lot of people feel helpless yeah. when they consider the overwhelming odds on, on climate change and, you know, the plastic pollution problem, but you know, the opportunity to do one thing that can advance towards us, you know, like I think, you know, mother Teresa said that if we want to clean up the world, start with your own doorstep, like yeah. just clean up what you can, because your impact becomes the ripple effect of like, you know, potentially billions of people inspiring billions of people to, to follow in your shoes. This episode is brought to you by Caldera lab. Caldera lab is a certified B Corp makes high-performance skincare by combining pharmaceutical-grade science with nature's most potent ingredients. Finally, a skincare routine that uses non-toxic, sustainable ingredients and actually works. In high school, I got a nasty sunburn that literally burnt the pigment out of my skin and left me with a surprisingly symmetrical two-tone mustache that led to my nickname, the Lorax. I've been playing beach volleyball professionally for over a decade, using sunscreen every day, and have spent more time in the sun than I care to think about. I can't tell you how damn happy I am to have a simple and effective daily routine to leave my skin feeling healthy and help offset all the exposure and damage that can come with playing beach volleyball. I use their three product regimen daily. The Clean Slate is a balancing cleanser I use in the shower. The base layer is a light moisturizer I use every morning. And The Good is an antioxidant-packed face serum I put on before bed every night. The regimen is backed by a clinical trial with real people and 100% participants reported healthier looking skin. So I'm not alone when I say this stuff actually works. I love Caldera Lab's mission and products, so I want to share a special discount of 20% off for our impact listeners. Go to calderalab.com slash casebeer or use the discount code casebeer at checkout. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com slash casebeer. Yeah, that idea of getting your own house in order is so crucial, but that's the other thing too. It's difficult to know where to start. So the fact that you guys are offering a elegant solution to everyday problems with the phone case and Lomi and sunglasses, and then giving people a way to take further action to share with their friends and then send the regular plastic cases back is pretty damn cool. We actually created a, a plastic wave. I'll have to send you some pictures afterwards, but we, we took all these cases that we had sent back to us and we created a giant surfing wave and put a surfboard in there. And we've sent that on exhibits. 
sustainability exhibits. Currently, it's, I think, at uh, the Expo Pavilion in Vancouver, but it, it travels around and, and yeah. people can get their photos taken on this wave of plastic. And again, it's just the metaphor of the fact that our oceans are being polluted by just this mus- misuse of an incredible material. And we want to create awareness because the first step of transformation has got to start with awareness. 100%. And then creating those elegant solutions from there. Would love to talk a bit about Lomi and how you guys are tackling food waste for people that don't have access to either the space or the services of composting in their house or neighborhoods. I had a friend and other founder, Amy Keller, who created a company using upcycled food to create plant-based candy and learned quite a bit from our conversation that a third of food grown in the U.S. doesn't make it from the farm to fork, so it's wasted. And the food waste for its own country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases, which is pretty wild. So when looking at individual impacts, just wasting less food is massive. So what was the idea behind Lomi? And I'm sure that was quite a process to design and manufacture and create a simple solution to what can be a nasty, slimy, gross problem in people's houses. Well, it's, it's kind of a happy accident for us. And, you know, most innovation and in companies, in my experience, its founder is coming from solving your own problems, things that really yeah. annoy you. Um, so we started working on Lomi about three years ago. And the impetus for it was that we're creating these products out of compostable biodegradable materials, but we were shipping it to people that were bi-coastal. That was our primary audience. And most of those people are living in condos or townhouses or in areas where they don't have access to a home composting bin. So our much, we've proven over and over again that our products, when put into a home composting environment, break down in a very short period of time. But a lot of people kept saying, well, where do I put it? And yeah. you know, it's only so many bins. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, you know, there's the, the garbage bin, which here in Canada is gray. There's the recycle bin, which is blue. And then there's the green bin, if you have one, which is green. Um, and that's for organics. So, you know, the recycle bin doesn't take it. In terms of the green bin, industrial composting facilities are disparate at best. I know in, in California, there's a massive push towards upgrading this because of this legislation bill going through, yeah. I think, 308 that is basically saying all organic waste has to be displaced from landfill uh, by 2025. But still, what we've found is that on the other side, the composting infrastructure in general isn't taking uh, compostable plastics because it doesn't meet their industrial criteria of being able to break down a period of time because they have a business of turning compost because they in turn sell that, right? It's valuable. So we're like, well, hey, you know, we've got this problem where we're shipping these products and most people don't have access to infrastructure to look after them. So why don't we take them back and we'll, we'll have a giant industrial composting facility that, that for us will take care of that problem. And uh, as we started to think about the economics of spending hundreds of millions of dollars to do that, not to mention yeah. all the fix of shipping things back, we said, there's got to be a better way. And we really took, I think, a, a lesson from Elon Musk's playbook about how do we democratize this at the home level? How do we mm-hmm. you know, put solar chargers and things and empower the user to be able to solve the problem? And so that was what started us down the path. And along the way, we discovered that well, outside of organic waste in terms of, you know, CPG products, there is this food waste problem that you just mentioned. It's an even bigger problem. We discovered that 60% of all uh, waste right now is made up of organic. So most people just scrape their, their food into yeah. the garden. Um, 
I was naive to think, well, that's okay, right? Because it goes to a landfill and in a landfill, it's organic. It'll break down and, you know, it becomes fertilizer. Well, what I didn't understand was that it goes to a landfill, is compacted and covered and becomes anaerobic. And instead of breaking down the way it was meant to, it breaks down in a way that produces methane gas. And methane gas is significantly more damaging as a greenhouse gas emission and contributing to global warming. So per your prior uh, comment, we just kind of like, wow, we have this issue where not only can we solve our CPG products, but also we have an opportunity to address this massive issue around food waste. And, uh, and so it was kind of this, this perfect, yeah, perfect storm, if you will, in a good way, yeah. where you're addressing two problems at once. And then the unexpected great, this is what really uh, blew us away is that so outside of the fact that we have food security issues that you have already alluded to, we have this other bigger issue, which is that healthy soil is depleting. And in the rate of we're currently going around the planet, we see desertification. In fact, Kiss the Ground is a documentary on, on Netflix, which I encourage you to watch. Encourage yeah, you. Fantastic. It was a great job of just explaining this problem at a macro. But we have this massive issue in terms of soil is being depleted at a rate that's not sustainable. And turns out soil is the number one carbon sink on the planet. So the, the unexpected grade is that the output of loan produces healthy soil, which instantly sinks the carbon out of the atmosphere. And uh, what's exciting about us is that we've been able to validate that the amount of electricity that went into generating the, the loamy process, which typically takes a few hours, actually is less than by the displacement of the methane, as well as the transportation and the, um, the sinking of the carbon. So it's actually able to generate carbon credits as a final output, which we think is, is super exciting. Yeah, that's that was what, when I first came out, I saw it, I was talking to my brother-in-law, we kind of nerd out and go back and forth on these things. And he was taking the side of, no, we should have this in our communities. We should do, people should do it themselves. I'm like, yes, but people, not everyone has that option. Even where I'm at, it's difficult and then it's a lot of extra steps. But the fact that you've done that life cycle analysis and gotten into the weeds to prove that, and then the fact that you're also carbon neutral, which means you offset all the emissions related to manufacturing, shipping, and the running of it. And the, and you also take them back at end of life, right? 100%. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's just, it's about starting with principles and values that support a worldview that says we as a business have to be responsible. You know, we actually are calling it the responsibility economy, that what we put out you know, if it's true that waste is a man-made problem and that we created it, we also have to use our man-made community to solve it. And part of that is that as the creators of it, we want to be responsible for how it gets its end of life. So we take everything back, uh, anything we make, quite frankly, we have that principle for is that if you can't find a way to let it break down, then we will ultimately take it back and ensure it gets that graceful end of life that was intended. Very cool. Very cool. So what, what's ahead in the next year or two that you can share about Pila? What are you most excited about? Look, I, one of the things I just want to mention about Lummi, and then I'll talk about the future, because I think it's important that, you know, when you ask people what they want, they will often uh, say aspirational things about the change that they would like to say in the world, but really it's how they act and how they conduct themselves that is truly what their values are. And so one of the things that's been very clever about why we've seen such mass, adop mass adoption of Lomi is that uh, instead of focusing on the good it can do, the vitamin side of it, we focused on the painkiller piece of it, which yeah. is food waste is gross, 
it's smelly, it's stinky. If you have a green bin program, everyone knows that it's not something you like to deal with. And so we're providing a solution to eliminate that problem. Oh, and by the way, the virtuous outcome of doing it is also, it's good for the planet. Yeah. And that's, I think for anybody who's trying to create change in the world, trying to appeal to people's vitamin side, it's, it's possible, but it's hard. The much easier way to get human behavior to change is what can we do? It's a painkiller, take away a pressure point that is on the pain side. And so it's with that in mind that we kind of look into the lens of the future to say, okay, we have a roadmap for that we continue to roll out. You know, we have a number of partners that we're working with that I, I can't disclose as of yet, but you sure. probably with a few of them that uh, are in the process of developing products that are LOMI approved. And you will see that standard rolling out in the near term. We also have a pretty robust roadmap of new LOMI uh, devices that will be coming out to look after other environmental problems. One of the things that we, we, we think about is, is what are the other pain points around the house? Yeah. Yeah. Two things that stick out from that and the one you mentioned about solving problems and pain points versus helping people do the right thing or kind of get those vitamins and feel good. I think that's overlooked quite a lot. And with the Lomi, you're definitely solving a real icky problem that everyone deals with, everyone eats and has to figure that out. But it's also a very cool kind of teachable moment too, especially if you have kids. It's one of those things that like you want to tell your friends and family about, you want to share because it is cool. You can put your food waste in overnight and then go plant some vegetables in your garden with it. And I, the other thing that surprises us is that 60% of Americans identify themselves as gardeners. I don't know if that's wow. <laughs> but you know, certainly people adopted a whole bunch of new hobbies during yeah. the pandemic and we know gardening was definitely one of them, but the idea that you can create craft soils and, and then involve your family. I mean, actually, I would tell you that the kids are going to be the biggest fans of the device and it, you know, like when you put stuff into the recycle bin, you hope it gets sorted yeah. out. But it's what, 9% under 10% actually gets recycled. So it's, yeah, mind boggling. It's mind boggling. And, you know, the law of diminishing returns says that nothing gets recycled twice. If sure. it's that little, it's not happening twice, but you hope. But when you put stuff into a Lomi and press the button, go to bed, come back again. The first thing is that people look inside and there's two comments we see the most is crazy and magic. <laughs> <laughs> which if you could create that and have a tangible social environmental benefit, that's, that's a secret sauce right there. And that's the other thing is making it tangible. So many things that, you know, recommendations of individual actions people can take, they're not tangible. Like I have a friend who I try to talk to this stuff all the, all the time and he doesn't know much about sustainability. He's not that interested. So I feel like he's my barometer. If I can get him bought in or understanding or fired up, then like he'll get it. He's like, what about my carbon footprint? What does that mean? Can I go plant a tree tomorrow? I'm like, well, yeah, you could, that'd be good. But you know, it's about trying to make that experience kind of visceral and tangible to get people fired up and share it. Right. I mean, and that's just it. Like we are visually dominant as a species and, you know, opening your Lomi and seeing it's dirt. I know I actually yeah. have never seen people get so excited about such a simple, <laughs> people are excited for dirt. Cause it's like, it worked. It, yeah. you know, Recycling, I'm not sure. Hope, you know, sure. You know, hope it works out. But this, I actually saw that I feel empowered to make a difference. My kitchen's clean, it's not smelly. And wow, I now have something that's useful that if I identify as being a gardener, I can practically use it, dress my lawn, whatever you want. Yeah. It just gives people a, a feeling of being involved as a part of the solution, which is empowering. Definitely. 
So in doing research for this episode, also learned that we have a similar entrepreneurial spirit. Our, my first job was had my old Toyota Tacoma four-cylinder and I created a moving and hauling business out of it for high school. I believe you started chopping firewood with your dad's tools and truck and hired some of your buddies. So we'd love just to kind of hear the progression from there. And then basically up to Pila, you have a pretty interesting story and had some pretty cool nuggets to share. I would love to dive into that a bit. Sure. Look, I, you know, this debate about whether entrepreneurs are born or made, I think it's a bit of both. I think, you know, I think we all have this inherent human need to try and create independence and freedom in our life. We want yeah. that. And it's whether we have the courage to actually try it that is the differentiator. And at an early age, I was incredibly curious about just a lot. I mean, I was a mischievous kid. I got in trouble a lot. I didn't, you know, sit well in school. And I hear that's a pretty common trait. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always had this sort of, I guess, desire to want to try and see if the, you know, what possibilities I create. And you're right. I started off in the woodcutting business, uh, say in my teens, you know, funded a lot of my adventures as a kid. I was very adventurous. We lived, you know, Western Canada, just outside the mountains. And I, that was my happy place, still is my happy place. I love spending time in the mountains. And, and so that, that funded most of those adventures. And then in my early twenties, I got involved in a network marketing company. And that was sort of formative to just understanding that, you know, there's two different ways you can learn in life. There's, you know, learning from knowledge through your own mistakes, wisdom, learning from the mistakes of others. And better to learn from the other mistakes of others. It's certainly a lot deeper and less painful. And that really plugged me into just becoming a lifelong learner. And again, it's something that has been a part of my belief system to this day. And so there's been a number of sort of inflection points as I think back, but you know, I've had seven adventures that I've joined in as an entrepreneur and along the way I crashed and burned two of them. And, you know, I've, I've come to learn that, you know, mastery is down on the mountaintop of mistakes. You know, we don't tend to learn a lot from success. I don't think we stop to take the time to really consider what helped make us successful. Whereas when you hit the wall or, yeah. or you knock down, it's kind of a forcing function of getting you to stop and, and reevaluate. And I'm a slow learner. So, you know, <laughs> we like bankruptcy so much the first time we had it again, just to prove it really <laughs> But I, 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 as I think back on it now, while at the time it was terrible, because I think for an entrepreneur, you know, my wife and I had this conversation that, you know, we're both parents, but she ultimately birthed the kids into the world. So there's going to be a connection with her and the kids that I just will never understand. Sure. Doesn't make her more important as a parent, just means there's a connection because of that that's just unique to her and the kids. And likewise, as an entrepreneur, I birthed these businesses into being. And just like any uh, mother who births something in the planet, the thing you're going to fight for most is what you're, your prodigy, what you gave birth to. And so I think every entrepreneur, what strikes uh, terror to their heart is, you know, the contemplation that it could die. Yeah. I know that was for me, that was my greatest fear. And it was certainly a high motivator for somebody who bootstrapped a company because all my businesses were something and until Pila, everything that I had done had been bootstrapped, which basically means you eat what you kill. <laughs> you're not, you're not, uh, you don't have any hall pass to get a year or two to, you'd be unprofitable. You got to basically make it work right from the get go. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I, I look back at the time it was horrible. It was painful, but I'm very grateful because, um, I think as a human, there's things that we need to be truly human. 
you know, we need to be able to breathe, eat, sleep, love, companionship, you know, meaning in our life. And I would add to that list struggle. Sure. You know, it's, it's a diamond is a lump of coal through a lot of heat and pressure is formed into something precious. You know, gold is refined through fire. And I think as humans, part of our development is becoming the best and brightest version of ourselves is to go through pain points and my father, you know, would say to me often, cause I, you know, come to him, you know, just despondent about what's happening. And he would just say, Brad, don't despise the process for what it's going to make of you. And I hated those. <laughs> it was the worst advice ever in the moment. But as I reflect back on it, it was genius. Yeah. I've found looking back in my career as an athlete, I think there's definitely some similarities to being an entrepreneur. You know, I've never had a steady paycheck basically since I graduated from UCLA 10, 11 years ago. And basically you eat what you kill. How well I do in the tournament is how much money I make and how I pay rent. If I want to go try and play internationally, I'm paying for a flight overseas, hotel, food, coaches, all the rest. And I've definitely had some dark moments where reevaluating what am I doing here? Is this really worth it? Is it time for a shift? And thankfully I've stuck with it. It hasn't come to a breaking point yet, but during COVID I was playing professionally, going back to school at UCLA and coaching the women's beach volleyball team. And literally I was pretty happy with where things were going, but everything stopped on a dime and I had to really reevaluate, had to spend time, way too much time far from family and basically hit close to rock bottom. But during that time, I had the opportunity to think about how, how I can work to have an impact as an athlete, how I can work with awesome B Corp 1% for the planet and climate neutral brands, how I can partner with nonprofits, how I can work towards bringing sustainability into beach volleyball. And even though that's probably the darkest moment of my life without that, you know, whatever it was, six, 12, 18 months of COVID quarantine, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to sit back and reflect and begin to connect the dots. I love that. Thanks for sharing. That's, <clears throat> that's such a great testament to, you know, grow where you're planted. Yeah. Um, and, and of course it's, it's, you know, it's dark. It's just before the twilight. So we've just yeah. come through <laughs> and I know there's a, currently a, a, a number of issues going on, on the planet beyond climate change, but needless to say, I am a big believer in the persistence game. It's easy to sail the seas when they're flat and calm, you know, the yeah. Norse, were created by the Northern Seas, you know, the, the formidable climate and where they were raised and, and up is what created the assets and the character. And that's whether you like them or not, but, you know, with the ability to dominate and conquer most of the civilized world uh, back at the time. And just like that, I mean, you know, your adversities can become your advantage. You know, your uh, challenges will help add to your character if you choose, you know, yeah. people are, you know, they, they choose to be brought down by challenges, but other people, they choose to use them as a, a lever to actually grow themselves, grow their influence. So um, definitely. And two other ideas I heard you talk about in the previous interviewers, the idea of crystal balls and rubber balls. And that's something I, as you elaborate, I was like, man, this is something I'm constantly trying to figure out. Like, how do I divide time between being the best athlete I can be working on partnerships, with brands and nonprofits, family time stuff that you know fills me up so could you elaborate on that a little bit sure yeah like so i here's the thing i mean there's all these i would call esoteric terms for understanding who we are and what we value 
And uh, I would say if you met me 10 years ago and you said, Brad, what are your values? I would have said, you know, aspirational things like, well, family and, and my spirituality and, you know, you know, work of course is valuable, but I would have kind of laid out in that order, but I was a complete fraud because what truly determines what you think is valuable is where you invest your time. Time is the ultimate expression of what you truly value. So if you ever want to take a look at what's important to you, look at your calendar. And I recommend people do audits on a continual basis just to hold themselves accountable to say, are you integrity with what you claim is value in your yeah. life? You're spending a bunch of time like I was on your work and not in the other areas of your life, then you couldn't honestly say with any kind of conviction that these things were important to you. And of course, there's times and seasons for everything in life. Like I, I, I'm a big believer there's no such thing as balance. There's just awareness yeah. and influence. And my, my wife is a really good reminder of what I'm imbalanced about. So she's, she's great at uh, keeping my, my conscious pricked on that front. But <laughs> the idea that crystal balls and the rubber balls is this, is that we have values. So for me, I've defined them as eight. So there's my faith, my family, my fitness, and my finances. And then there's four more, which I describe as freedom, finishing, fun, and friends. So if you take a look at my calendar, that's where I'm spending time in each one of those different compartments. But some of those values are more critical than others. And I call those the crystal balls and the others, the rubber balls. And the idea of me is that we're juggling, we're constantly yeah. where we spend our time. And a rubber ball, you can drop once in a while and it'll bounce. Uh, a crystal ball, like your health, yeah. your fitness, you drop that, it shatters, right? So it's really important to make sure that you understand what are the things in your life that are crystal balls versus the things that are rubber balls. Cause we're never going to get it to perfection. Sure. It, is, it is an orchestration, you know, like that is the thing that's beautiful about life. It's this woven tapestry of experiences between, you know, the things that you value and trying to create meaningful and magical memories as you do it. And, uh, you know, I'm very clear for me that my, my faith, my spirituality, my family, you know, my fitness, those three are my absolute non-negotiables. Every single day, I'm absolutely investing most of my time there. You know, adding to that my finances, which in this case is the financial engine of business and enterprises that I jump into. Freedom refers to what I would describe as entrepreneurial desire, the desire to create a life that's truly abundant, full of optionality. Friends, pretty self-explanatory. We yeah. surround ourselves people that are going to be engines in our life, not anchors. We're going to help lift you up instead of drag you down. Finishing refers to growth, personal development and growth. And, you know, I, I also am highly convicted on that. And I would say that's close to being a crystal ball for me, but still recognize that it's not as important as the other ones. So if I had to, that one could get dropped and, uh, and fun. Well, this is fun and I'm into <laughs> in Florida. I'm going to go kite surfing or done here. So fun is definitely there as well. But again, it's one of those things that you just fit into the, the priority, just again, taking an audit of where am I investing my time and then making sure that you are congruent with what you pledge or vow that is your values. Uh, I think that's a really useful shorthand because again, sometimes when you do hit rock bottom, you may realize that you're devoting time in places towards rubber balls, that things that aren't necessarily critical, they're nice to have and you need it sometimes and avoiding or not putting enough time and energy into the crystal balls, things that you really can't go without. You also mentioned three rules for life. And obviously that's totally personal based on their values and experiences, but that really struck a chord with me. And I really dug that. Could you explain that a bit? 
Well, I guess again, you, uh, you get clear when you get knocked down. So, you know, so I'm clear when I exited the toy business in 2017, it was a sudden exit with a soft landing. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is that I, I took my, my private company, I merged it with another company. And the whole goal was to take these two companies and go into an IPO. And, you know, my vision for the future was to build a, a top 10 toy company in the world that was public. And I found out the hard that even you go from a majority shareholder in your business and you merge with another company of similar size and suddenly become a minority shareholder that the board of directors has a lot of clout in terms of determining your future with the company. So I drew the short straw and got ejected from the company. Along the way, they bought me out. So that's the soft landing that I referred to that gave me optionality. But it was a place where I came to a stop and said, okay, what did I learn from this experience? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, nothing like getting punched in the nose to uh, figure out exactly what, what are the lessons learned and get you to pause. So the three things I came away with were this. Number one, life plan before business plan. Prior to that, every decision in my life would have been put through my business plan filter before I decided whether it was worthy of the life plan. And it was just a sense of, you know, again, my values, what were my priorities, what were the things I was valuing the most? And it was pretty clear that I was valuing building an enduring enterprise, creating something that I thought would, would make me happy. I, I was wrong about that, but you know, that was something that I believed at the time. So this was the first time in my life that I said, I'm going to put all decisions through, is this support my life plan before the business plan? Second is only awesome people or otherwise referred to as no asshole. <laughs> and, you know, it just comes down to the quality of your life comes down to the quality of your relationships. The two most important decisions that you're going to make in your life are who do you marry? And then who do you get in business with and make those decisions very, very carefully. And I was very thoughtful about my second business adventure and making sure that I chose business partners that really were in congruence with my worldviews and that we together would be exponential in terms of impact, our ability to actually do things. And so, so I think that that's been super helpful. And, and I would say it's still helpful because as we evaluate opportunities, like, you know, we're in the middle of, of raising some capital, I'm telling you the number one thing we're looking at is do these people violate the no asshole rule? You know, they, <laughs> because it's, it, it seems good at the front end, you know, it makes sure. sense on a sheet, but can you live with these people? Yeah. Are these guys going to be supportive to your greater vision, mission of what you're trying to do? Will they, you know, be able to open doors and remove roadblocks to accelerate and amplify your vision and mission? So important questions asked. Don't follow the money, follow the vision. And then the third is only impact, meaning that, you know, we have about 30,000 days on this planet. If you're the average human, human life, I want to make sure that I go to my deathbed knowing that I left it all behind on the field of life. I'm not sure if you've read the book, The Five Regrets of the Dying, mm -mm. but it's, it's fascinating because it's a palliative care nurse in Australia who interviews uh, people in their sort of last weeks of life and finds that there's some common themes to things that they regret. And fascinating thing about The Five Regrets of the Dying, that four of the five are for things they didn't do. And that kind of blew my mind. I'm like, what? Yeah. Surely you did something, you made a decision where you regret it. So like something happened and actually the fifth was the only one where they did something they regretted. And that was, they worked too much, meaning that I worked too much, which reduced my optionality to be able to do the other four things that I wish I would have. 
So I want to make sure that I've done the best that I can with the, you know, God-given talents, resources, and time given to know that I left it all behind in the field of life that I can also say, I've run the race, I kept the faith, and I completed it. So well said. And I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience and what Peel is up to. And also, I really enjoyed getting to research for this episode and even more so getting to uh, jam with you. So thank you, man. Good, I man. appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you uh, inviting me on to join you because I'm glad we connected uh, at the event in Phoenix and uh, I can tell we're kindred spirits and uh, I certainly hope we cross more paths in the future. I'm sure we will. Um, Absolutely. Based on the, it's, it, I've come to learn that sort of six degrees of separation, particularly when you have such commonality around uh, passion, around sustainability, plus obviously you're into outdoor fitness. So we're, we're definitely going to cross paths. And if you come up to Canada, please look me up. Yeah, let's go timber sledding. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, this is Jeremy again. Thanks for listening to another episode of Our Impact. I hope you found this conversation useful and interesting. If you have any feedback about this episode, suggestions for future guests or topics, please leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.